Good morning, everybody. And I can finally say Merry Christmas without it being weird. When you do it in July, people look at you funny. Merry Christmas, everybody. I, I hope it is a Merry Christmas season for everyone. Christmas can be a trying time for people. But this morning, we are going to have reasons to rejoice as we enter into God's Word and we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord and our Savior. As Jason mentioned, we are going to step away from the Gospel of John for a few weeks to celebrate the Christmas season. If you've been with us, you know that we have been in John for a long time now. We have gone chapter by chapter, verse by verse, seeing our Lord on display. But we're going to take a moment and press pause and celebrate Jesus in a little bit different way for the next few weeks as we lead up to Christmas time. Our Advent series this year is entitled Celebrating the Incarnation. That slide was up there earlier. The advent of Jesus changed everything that mankind had known until he came on the scene. From the fall of man in the garden, we lived in a broken, broken world that was without hope. A world that struggled with its sin, a world that desired a relationship with God once in a while, but usually didn't because sin was so much more fun. When Jesus came on the scene, everything changed. The hope for a relationship with God now had some fruit to it. A restored relationship with our creator, a restored creation now was possible because God himself had come to make it happen. That is what we're going to celebrate in the next few weeks, folks, is God came and drew near and everything has changed. This morning, I will start us out with the mystery of the incarnation. We were talking about it at the dinner table last night, mystery of the incarnation. Those aren't words that necessarily everybody talks about at the dinner table. We use strange words at our house. We use propitiation and lots of big words. We, play, we don't play Scrabble, but maybe we should. But the mystery of inc the incarnation, are, they're not necessarily words that you're used to seeing. And so I want to camp for just a minute and define incarnation. It's already been kind of hinted at already this morning, but when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, it comes from a Latin word that means taking on flesh or in the flesh. That word incarnation means God himself chose to be a human being. He chose to put on this. I don't, not this. Something better. And dwell among his creation that he might restore it to himself. When we talk about the incarnation, we talk about God taking on the form of a man named Jesus Christ, being born in a manger and dwelling among us. The reason we camp on that word, the reason why it's part of our message today is because the incarnation is what makes Christianity different than every other religion out there and every other belief that you're going to encounter today. We're not talking about God sending a messenger. We're not talking about God sending another prophet saying, I would like you to go tell these people some things. While you're at it, do some miracles. We're talking about God himself. We're not talking about a prophet. We're not talking about a teacher or a wise man who has a better way of living. We see those guys all the time. We're talking about God himself taking on flesh and dwelling among his creation. Josh joked last week that every passage we teach about in scripture is the most important one. Every time we open up God's word, it is important. And every passage that we bring 
been for you is important because it's God's word. But today, I think we set the bar as high as it can get. There's nothing that's more significant than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The truth that makes Christianity different from every other message. If God had not drawn near, we would stay so far away. So this morning, we'll celebrate. We'll celebrate the hope of the world, the promise of forgiveness, the power of God's grace and his mercy, all of which hinge upon God coming and dwelling with us. And that is the mystery of the incarnation that we'll talk about this morning. I will apologize in advance to note takers. My lovely wife is a note taker. She has not yet heard this message and doesn't know to call me names. There's gonna be a lot of scripture passages. Scripture is full of words about the incarnation. So if you are a note taker, I will try to stop in between verses to get you where you need to be. They'll hopefully all be up there, but I apologize. There is no single passage that we can camp on today. That said, would you join me one more time in prayer and we'll dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are the God who chose to draw near, that left to our own devices and our own sin, we would be far, far away, that we would live in a broken world with broken hearts, with no way of coming close. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so very much that you came to be among us, that you were born a man, that you lived a life that was perfect, and that you died a death that you did not deserve and we did. Lord, thank you for being among us, Lord. Would you be glorified this morning as we take a quick look at all that means, Lord? Would you use this time and these words for your glory? You are worthy of so much more than I can ever offer up to you, and you are worthy of more than you receive from us. Would you be glorified this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, three questions that we'll try to tackle this morning. The mystery of the incarnation. So first of all, we're gonna have to unpack that word mystery. The next thing we'll do is we're gonna take a good quick look at what that word incarnation means. We'll see what scripture teaches about the incarnation. That's the best place to go find our answers and solve that mystery. And finally, I hope we will start our Christmas season right by thinking about how we should respond to the mystery of the incarnation. Sound good? Good. I see a few nodding heads and that's encouraging. So why is the incarnation of Jesus a mystery? We use that word mystery when we talk about things from scripture that are hard to understand. Man's definition is a little bit different than the scriptural definition, but we use it a lot when we find things that we can't explain. A mystery is something that we can't make fit into our way of thinking. There's several of them in scripture. The one today is arguably the most significant, but that mystery is Jesus came as God to be a man. How, how can that be? It's a question that doesn't fit well into a logical argument. And so we call it a mystery. Paul refers to the mystery of the incarnation when he's writing to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 3.16, Timothy, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That mystery of godliness, is he's talking about the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He says, Timothy, it's a mystery. It's hard to understand. 
the word mystery gets a few different definitions depending on where you see it used in scripture. It can be a secret counsel or revelation from God. It can be a hidden truth that God's chosen to reveal to us. A mystery can be a part of the Old Testament that was misunderstood until Jesus came and made it clear. My favorite one, although it's changed in why it's my favorite, is a mystery is secret knowledge from God in dealing with the righteous, which is plain to the godly people, but hidden from the ungodly and wicked men. And that was my favorite because I felt like if anybody had questions about my sermon, I could just say, well, think about that definition for a minute. But then I again began to realize as I studied how much I didn't understand and it wasn't quite as funny anymore. A mystery is the truth of scripture that requires us to allow two seemingly contradictory things to occur at the same time because we believe that God is bigger than we are today. The incarnation of Jesus fits all those definitions. The story of Jesus is certainly a revelation of God. Jesus communicates his will to the creation, his will to redeem and renew his relationship with fallen men. Old Testament prophets, they rejoiced at the promises that God was gonna come dwell with us, but they didn't understand who they were talking about. That became clear hundreds of years later when Jesus arrived on the scene. And the scripture teaches very clearly that Jesus is both God and man. If I say Jesus is God, I'm right. If I say Jesus is a man, born, lived, and died, I'm also right. How can those two things be true? Well, that's why it's a mystery. So the next question I would talk about is what do we do when faced with a mystery? How do we solve it? I made the mistake of opening up a theology book before I started opening God's word. Theology books are wonderful, but you need to open them second. If you have them at home, put them in their proper place. The chapter on the incarnation of Jesus Christ was 50 pages long, and the first 30 pages were not about Jesus. They were about arguments. So we can do what theologians do, and we can drive ourselves to distraction, trying out to hammer trying to hammer out a logically satisfying explanation of who Jesus is and how he could exist as both God and man. And we can try to squeeze him into a sad little box that is woefully small for the God of the universe. But we can do that. We can do what people have done throughout church history and we can find other people with different God-shaped boxes and we can argue with them. And we can fight about who Jesus is People throughout history have done some horrible things to one another based on this question. So we can do one of those two things or we can do what I should have done to begin with and open up God's word and see what scripture teaches about the incarnation of Jesus. And we can figure out real quickly that our God is much, much bigger than any box we can put him in no matter how pretty. It's my hope this morning that we'll take that third option. We're gonna look at and celebrate the truth that Jesus, the God most high, became man. And in doing so, brought blessings beyond our wildest dreams. So let's go on and talk about what does scripture teach about the incarnation. Now this is where all the verses start coming in. So if you're a note taker, write fast. 
I will try to stop in between passages. First of all, God's incarnation is prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with promises of a Messiah. If you were here last year for Advent, we talked a lot about the Messiah. We have a lot of, pass- a lot of sermons online that you can go back and listen to all of these prophecies. Places over and over again where we see God promise he will send a king, he will send a chosen one, he will send a special anointed ruler who will redeem his people. When I say filled, I mean filled. Scholars will point to 300 prophecies or more that point to God's Messiah. Those, by the way, are only filled by Jesus. This morning, though, we're looking at ones that are specifically about God himself dwelling among us. There are three that I'll point us to from the Old Testament this morning. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now these are all prophecies that you've probably heard before. They're tied to Christmas pretty tightly. They're beautiful places to dwell when you're thinking about God's word, and thinking about Christmas time. So the first one, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you don't know what the word Emmanuel means, you maybe don't see it right away. Emmanuel means God with us. The promised sign, the son that the virgin will conceive and bear is God himself dwelling with us. Not just another baby, God with us. That name carries a significance. We sang about it this morning. It's a beautiful song. Thank you. God with us. The second passage again from Isaiah, this time chapter 9, verse 6. Jason already read it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Take a look at those titles. Those aren't just another king. This isn't just another prophet that God would call forth. This isn't just another ruler in the line of King David or King Saul. Significant as those men were be, they could not claim the title of mighty God. They were just men. God promises that he will come himself to take care of what men could not. The last one I'll point us to from the Old Testament is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, one whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is the prophecy that led the wise men to find Jesus. Only God can claim an eternal nature, which is what we see in this passage. An old, from of old, from ancient days. This is not a man who was just born and God said, well, I'll use him. This is someone planned on from eternity. God himself. The other thing that I've written down on my margin is Jesus wasn't a backup plan. From eternity forth, God planned to send himself to dwell among his creation. Nothing that we have done surprised our maker. 
And so from the very beginning, he planned to redeem us for himself. The prophet Micah was given a glimpse of what was to come. He just didn't know who he was looking for. So now we'll move to the New Testament where we see that God's incarnation of Jesus is proclaimed with joy throughout the New Testament. Over and over again, we see the authors of the New Testament rejoice that they now understand who the Old Testament was talking about. If you were with us when we began the Gospel of John, you can remember that he started things this way. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not yet has not overcome it. So we begin with God. We begin with mystery language. In the beginning was God and the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. You feel the mystery coming out of that? How do we make that work? How do we make that fit together? And yet Scripture teaches that it's clear. We go on in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. There's the incarnation. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is where that word incarnation gets its start. The word became flesh. He took on a body. John tells us in verse 17 the name of this person that we're looking for. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The gospels have a name to put on God dwelling among us. And they rejoice because they've seen him and now they understand why he looked the way he did. The Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to remind all the churches that he helped plant and shepherd the truth of Christ's incarnation. It's interesting, very few people at the time of the early church argued that Jesus wasn't a man. That came later. It took theologians to come up with the idea that maybe Jesus wasn't really a man. Theologians need to find something else to do with their time. Read the Bible. That was snarky, I apologize. If you're a theologian, I'm sorry. Paul reminds people over and over again that Jesus is God. There were people who walked around with Jesus. They saw him eat. They saw him sleep. They saw him walk across water. They saw him tortured, beaten, and hung on a cross. They saw him die. God doesn't die. How can this be? Paul reminds people over and over and over again that this Jesus is more than a man who was set upon by his enemies, that he was God among them. Let's take a look at a few of these verses. And it's just a few. I didn't pick all of them. I started with 60. We don't have that kind of time. We've got to decorate for Christmas later too. In Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through Paul, 3 through 4, Paul rejoices, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God sent his son to take on flesh that in flesh he could kill the punishment of the law. 
in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I'm going in order. You can just keep turning back the same way through your Bible. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Born of a woman, he became a man so that we could be his children. Think about the joy of that. If you hear nothing else this morning, that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus' incarnation made that possible. Paul writes to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours from Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus chose to empty himself in some way that we can't even begin to understand and explain to take on a body so that he might dwell among us. Paul says, have this attitude, have this place of humility in your heart that says, I'm going to put someone else first, just like Jesus did, who was God and became man. The church of Colossae struggled under attacks with people saying Jesus wasn't God. They had a group of guys move in after Paul left and said, no, we're going we're gonna to teach you what is right. Jesus wasn't God. He couldn't have been. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, this amazing resume of who Jesus is. He, our Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, I hate autocorrect, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is not a man we're talking about. I have a resume to apply for jobs. It looks nothing like this. I would be hired for whatever job I wanted if I could write these things down, but no one on earth can and be taken seriously. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Oh, that I could meet someone like that. Moving on to Hebrews. This is no longer Paul. This is the author of Hebrews. One of my favorite passages is one I gravitate to over and over again at Christmas time. It was one of the first sermons I ever got to preach. My kids were little then. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 sounds a lot like Colossians. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The radiance of the glory of God. One more and then we'll switch gears. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 
Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus took on flesh that he might destroy everything that flesh had to fear. He became a man so that we might become so much more than what we would be without him. If that doesn't bring a smile to your face, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Think about the list of blessings we've just zoomed through, and it's a laundry list. Jesus' incarnation brought grace and truth to mankind. He fulfilled the requirements of God's law. He made our adoption into God's family possible. He communicated God's character in unique and amazing ways. He made purification for sins. And he destroyed the devil's power of death, freeing us from the fear thereof. If that's not a reason for joy this Christmas season, I don't know what is. My wish list doesn't include any of those things. And I would love to say it's because I stop and dwell on what Jesus has done for me all the time so I don't need to ask for it. But I don't. And I would be so much more joy-filled if I stopped and remembered beyond having to preach on a Sunday that Jesus did all of these things for me. Folks, if we would stop and think about what Jesus has done for us and what it means right now and for eternity, we would be the most joyous people on earth. They would never be able to wipe the smiles off our faces. Why don't we? Shift gears one more time. Finally, we're gonna hear from the one who would know best about the incarnation. We'll hear from Jesus himself. What does he have to say about who he is? Jesus made no secret about his divine origins. He told his disciples over and over again who he was that they might know who they had in their midst. Three or four verses from John. John chapter six, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. The disciples had two choices. They could either believe him or stop following him, but you can't listen to someone say, I've come down from heaven and not take that seriously. He goes on, John chapter 17, verse five. Now, my, now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I have with you, had with you before the world existed. Jesus existed before creation with the Father in glory and he chose to give that up to be with us. John eight fifty eight got rocks thrown at him. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus gave himself the name and title of Yahweh God the Father and his enemies could not find enough rocks to try to throw. Last but not least, certainly, John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Jesus, over and over again, claimed to be God himself. Those who believed in him, they rejoiced in that truth. And those who did not sought to discredit him and kill him, and eventually they succeeded. But no one ever really 
dismissed him as a liar or a lunatic. C.S. Lewis wrote, we have a choice to make in how we respond to the words of Jesus. We can take him as he says he is, as Lord, or we can write him off as a liar or a lunatic. But we don't get to just call him a good teacher and we don't get to call him a nice guy because he doesn't allow us that. He claimed to be God come to earth. How will you respond to him? That decision is the most important you will ever make. All of eternity hinges upon it. And my prayer this morning is that there has been enough scripture thrown at us that we will see Jesus as God and worship him as a result. So how do we respond? What do we do with this knowledge? What do we do now that we understand the mystery of the incarnation? when we walk out of the door this morning. I'm gonna give three points. First, don't miss the meaning of the mystery. Maybe you are here and you're not sure what to do with all of this. And that's okay. If you have questions, so do I. So does everybody who sees Jesus on display for the first time. But don't miss the meaning of the mystery. Find someone in this building who seems to understand it just a little bit better and talk to them. We've got three pastors that will sit down and talk to you for hours about the gospel. Don't miss the gift that's been given to you in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important that you will ever have to understand than the words that we've talked about today. Don't miss the meaning of the mystery. Number two, give this gift away. If you have given your life to Jesus and accepted him as your savior, if you have all of the blessings that we've talked about this morning, give it away to somebody else, anybody who will listen. God has come to save the world. Share it with family. Share it with friends, strangers, the bell ringers at Walmart. Holiday shoppers, children, babies, people that you love, people that you don't like, anyone who will listen. This is the message that saves the world. Share it with somebody. It is hard to share the gospel with family. We will, we will be around family a lot this holiday season. If you're like me, you have family members who don't understand what we've talked about today. Do you love them enough to have the hard conversation, the awkwardness at the dinner table that says, can we talk about Jesus for a minute? There's nothing you'll give away this year that holds a candle to the message of the gospel. Give it away to somebody. And the last one, keep Jesus at the center of Christmas where he belongs. So much of the Christmas season clouds the real message of what we talked about this morning. Christmas lights are pretty. We all have our gift list of shopping we have to do. The tree in the corner is nice. It's like my house, you have trees in lots of corners. And that's okay. As long as they serve their purpose of reminding us of what we celebrate this year. As we decorate this building today, remember that we do it for a reason. Not because we love greenery or pretty lights 
but because we love our Lord Jesus who chose to love us first and leave heaven to come be among us. Keep Jesus at the center of Christmas this year, folks. Let your heart be lifted up by the one who set aside his throne of grace and his crown of glory to be among us and have a humble manger and a crown of thorns. Keep the truth and majesty of the God we love and celebrate at the heart of Christmas this year and be filled with joy as a result. Merry Christmas. Would you pray with me one more time while the worship team comes this way? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you chose to leave heaven and all the joys and comforts and glory that it contained to take on flesh, to become a helpless baby, to be born in a humble manger, knowing what this world held for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you saw the only way we could be redeemed and adopted and reconciled to you was to make it possible yourself. Lord, I pray that this morning, that as we hear your word, as we dwell upon it, that we would be filled with thanks, that we would be filled with joy, that we would be filled with a desire to share that good news with someone who needs it. For your glory, Lord, and for their good, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.